child dedication and what we're going to be doing right after service today, baptism, are two of the favorite things that as a pastor we get to be involved with. I love it. There's nothing like new lives in the natural, gifts from God, and there's nothing like Christians taking a public stand and publicly demonstrating their faith and commitment to Christ through public baptism. It's awesome. Today we will be having water baptism, an outward expression of an inward change that's already been taking place. Now, I know some of you that have been here a long time, you've heard me talk about baptism many times, but I know there's a lot of us here, if you're like me, and you're relatively new to the church, if you're like me, I came from a church that practiced infant baptism. And I'm not here to badmouth anybody who practices that. I'm just saying it, it's like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this baptism and, and with uh, adults and older, older teens and all of that stuff? So my goal is today to just share some thoughts and some information so we'll all be informed on why we do what we do. You know, as a church, one of the things we as leaders do, and one of the things I always tell people is, you know what, we want to try to the best of our ability, led by the Holy Spirit, to do things in the most biblical fashion that we can. And then I always acknowledge that we do not have all truth. You know, I can just imagine someday when we get to heaven and all truth comes, we're going to scratch our heads or hit our foreheads and go, yeah, how could we miss that one? But for us, we believe water baptism, as we're going to have it today, is a very biblical pattern of baptism. In Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all I command you to do, and lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. You know, we, we, sometimes, we oftentimes talk about the Great Commission. This is part of the Great Commission, making disciples, leading people as best we can by the Holy Spirit to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and then train them, make make disciples out of them. You know, I just didn't say go get people saved, but that is the door into discipleship. He says, be making disciples and then baptize them. I'm going to make, you'll hear this more than once through the message, but baptism saves no one, period. It's not biblical. It does not save anyone. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, period, exclamation point. In a matter of fact, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you are saved through faith. Grace, there's this gift, and we receive it through faith. That's how we're saved. And it's not by works, lest any man should boast. And in my mind, anything we do thinking it saves us or even helps us get closer to salvation is works. And we are saved by grace through faith, period. So we're going to be having a baptism this afternoon or right after. It depends on how long I preach, I guess. What time the Vikings play for all you pagans? (laughs) I hope I set my DVR. Water baptism has been around a long time. 
You know, when this started back in the time of Jesus, after his death, resurrection, and ascension, and believers, the church is getting formed, and they were all of a sudden baptizing people, it wasn't like it was this new thing. The Jewish people had been practicing a form of baptism for years, hundreds of years. When a non-Jew wanted to become Jewish, in other words, a proselyte Jew. If I was a Gentile and I'm watching all my Jewish neighbors thinking, eh, I kind of like that. You know what? I heard rumors they're God's people. I want to become one of you. Well, there was a way. And that way that they became was, first of all, men, just grit your teeth, through circumcision. That was the first thing. If you were a male, you had to get circumcised if you wanted to become a Jew. The second thing then was baptism. And they have found many baptismal tanks or mikvahs is what they were called in their archaeological digs. And basically what they look like is a series of steps going down into a rectangular or square basin that would hold up to four or five feet of water, most of them that they've seen. So the Jews were familiar with it. If you wanted to become Jewish, you got circumcised, then you got baptized, and then you had to go and sacrifice. You had to go and sacrifice. This was the process. So it wasn't like, gee, baptism, it's this new thing that they're all trying to figure out. No, it was more complicated than that. It was an old thing done differently. Because we, as Christians, as a matter of fact, before I go into that, There's a phrase, and if anybody listens to this online, anybody that's Jewish, pardon my mispronunciation, but they had a phrase that Jewish people would say when one of their Jews was going to accept Christ and then get baptized as a Christian. They would say, meaning you're becoming a Gentile? And they took it seriously because what they believed is something we sometimes forget. They believed when that Jew was going to accept Jesus Christ and demonstrate publicly as a Gentile, they were a changed person. And there was no going back. So they would say that phrase with the hope that, come on, whatever you do, don't get baptized. You've made a mistake. Think about this for a second. You're going to walk away from Judaism and you're going to become a Christian? One of them, it changes everything, and it was irreversible. So in their mind, when baptism started happening, they understood something was taking place. And we would do well to understand that they were right. We are making a public statement that should be a demonstration of an irreversible change that's taking place in our life. So they got circumcised, baptized, and then they sacrificed. For Christians, it's different. First, There is a sacrifice, but it's Jesus Christ. He is the sacrifice. Once we accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, that's the first step. And then there is circumcision of the heart. Not something that's done by hands of man, but it's something that's done by God. So there is a sacrifice, Jesus Christ. We don't make it. He did. There is a circumcision in our heart that takes place, changing our heart, where that old man is dead. A new creature in Christ has been formed, the circumcision of the heart, and then there is baptism. So people say, if it doesn't save, is it that big a deal? Yes, it is a big deal. 
if for no other reason than God tells us to do it. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it is an important act of obedience. It's Colossians 2, 9 through 12, to reinforce what I just mentioned. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lies in bodily forms. Jesus is God. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. And then it says, in him you you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism was a significant event then, and baptism is a significant event still. You know, we we are so blessed as much as we see what's happening to our country, to know that we still have the freedom. We can all go out to the north shore of Lake Yankton and publicly demonstrate what God has done inwardly in this outward symbol or representation of baptism. You know, the boats can all line up in the water if they want. We don't care, and we have the freedom. But in a lot of countries, you know, Muslim countries, death with baptism is like signing a death warrant. You know, in other countries like North Korea... China a little bit to a lesser degree now. Um, It's a serious thing. When that Christian's going to get baptized, it's a serious, serious thing. And it's one of those cases where because we have so much freedom still in this country, we tend to take those things for granted. It's like our Bibles. Boy, oh boy, if you get caught with a Bible in some of these places in the world, you're going to get beaten or imprisoned and maybe even killed. In this country, we can all have all kinds of them sitting all over the house's decorations. And sadly, that's what they are because we're so used to it. We take it for granted. Baptism is a symbol of something that's taken place. I'm I'm a little bit in trouble because my, my wedding ring has shrunk so it doesn't fit on my finger like it used to. But if you have a wedding ring, look at it. What all that is is a symbol of a mystery that took place when you got married. The mystery of a marriage is two people become one in Christ. And that wedding ring is a symbol of that. And that's what baptism is. It's a symbol of this inner work outwardly represented through the baptism. But it's more than a symbol. It's more than a symbol. It is an ordinance of God that represents the identification of the Christian with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We are publicly demonstrating a biblical truth. And that's why God wants us to be baptized. That's why Jesus said, make disciples and baptize those disciples. It's important. In Romans 6, Verses 3 through 5, it says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's a rep- we died with Christ when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. As Christians, when we are born again, 
there is a new life in Christ. It should look different. Granted, it takes a little bit longer in some of us than others to look different. But there should be this transformation taking place in all of our lives. Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father that we may have a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. When you're crucified, you are crucified in Christ. As we go out into that water, some of us that will be going into the water, when that baptismal candidate goes into the water and they're standing out of there in the water, that is a picture of Jesus in his crucifixion. When we go down into the water, we are identifying with him being buried, dead, in a tomb. And when we come up out of the water, we are identifying that we have been raised with him as a new creature in Christ. What a wonderful picture God gave us in baptism to demonstrate and remind us of what we're really, what really all of the benefits, the reality of who we are in Christ. So much of the time we we look at all this spiritual stuff and it's almost like we're talking theory. It's all good and it just becomes theory or it comes head knowledge. It's not just head knowledge or it shouldn't be. It's not just theory. It's reality. When we accept Christ, this has taken place. He died, we die with him. Who should be baptized? You know, and I, <clears throat> there's a lot more on the slides this week than normal because I want especially newer people or visitors to understand why we do this because it's important to understand why it's done. Who should be baptized? Acts 2, 41. Those who have received the word were baptized. Not heard it, just heard it. Those that heard it, received it, and made it, and believed it. Those who received the word were baptized. In Acts 8, 12, but when they believed, Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized. When they heard the word, believed the word, accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, they were baptized. Acts 8, 36 and 37, This is a great one. I I love this example. This is when Philip, after the crucifixion, he he meets the Ethiopian eunuch on the road. Remember the story? And he stops and talks to him and explains to him what's been going on. And then he asks this question. What prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip says this. And this is the requirement for being baptized. If you believe with all your heart, you may. That's it. If you believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh who was crucified, dead, buried, and raised from the dead for our sins, you can get baptized. And what did they do? They went down to the water and got baptized. Acts 10, 47 and 48 those who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did. Here, here he's talking, there was a group of people, and they went to him, and they started sharing with him, and they all got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not the same as being baptized in water. So what's the context here? It says, they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. We hear them speaking in tongues. They received the Holy Spirit just like we did. You can't be baptized in the Holy Spirit unless you have believed. So we see in every single example here, and we could give a lot more, And as you read through the Bible, you'll see the words believe and be baptized, believe and be baptized, believe and be baptized in that order. We believe baptism is for a believer. That's why we often refer to it simply as believer's baptism. 
Is there anything wrong if I got baptized as a non-believer? No, you got wet. I was baptized. Mother, where's mother? She always moves on me. I always got to cover my bases with my mom. My mom and dad took me to the church and they baptized me. Nothing wrong with that at all. We dedicate our children here, and some people will come and say, gee, that looks just like our baptism without the water. In a lot of ways, it is. We believe that the, the dedicate our ch- children is a biblical model, but we be, believe baptism is for believers. How should we be baptized? Why are we going out to the lake? Why don't I just have a little bowl of water up here and have you come up here and sprinkle you with water? And I want to say up front is, you know what? If I was in a place and there was a very shortage of water and somebody wanted to be baptized, you know what I'd do? I'd get my bottle of water or a cup of water or whatever I had and I'd baptize them with it. So I'm not saying this is the only way. If there's situations, circumstances where water is not available, let's baptize them. However, if there is water available, let's do it with what looks like the best biblical model. The Greek word translated baptize is baptizo. Baptizo, and it simply means to dip or immerse in water. And you can look through different scriptures that we're not going to read, but in Matthew 3 and in Mark 1, you see that when John the Baptist was baptizing, there was much water. When Jesus himself was baptized, they went down into the water. And now you could say, boy, you're assuming a lot, Mike. What if it was only two inches deep? Maybe you're right. But I don't think so. And part of the reason I don't think so is the way the Jews themselves had baptized people for hundreds and hundreds of years. They took him down into that tank, that mikvah, and they immersed him, completely immersed him. We believe that is the most biblical model of it. And as I mentioned, Philip and the Ethiopian, they went down into the water. And when you look at it, it seems to, if you start to try to study this out, it would seem that it's the best example you could think of for the symbolism of what takes place when we're born again. Think about that. My identification with Christ, is there a better way to baptize than going out into the water, standing there, going down into the water, representing the grave, and coming out of the water, representing the resurrection. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture and example of baptism. And it looks to me like, in the Scripture, that's what we see. And it certainly looks to me like, very clearly in Scripture, it's for believers. It's for believers. And again, if, if this isn't the perspective you've had over it, I just want you to, re- to remind you again that this is what we believe as a church. Other churches can believe differently. But this is what we believe. This is what we practice, this type of baptism. Why do it? If it's just a symbol, is it really that big a deal? Why do it? Well, first of all, it's identifying with Christ. And it's a public statement identifying you with Christ. You know, when I go in and get baptized and there's people watching, I am publicly proclaiming by this act that I am a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Everything's new. I'm going to live this new life in Christ by the Holy Spirit and the act of my will to the best that I can. And both I and the Lord know I'll mess up. 
But that doesn't mean I'm not going to continue to try to walk in holiness and righteousness that Christ purchased for us. Baptism, I believe, Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I believe being God tells us to do it, it pleases him. He loves it when his children are obedient. Parents, don't we kind of like that when our children are obedient? I believe it pleases our Father in heaven. And it's a, a real testimony. You know, the word of God and our testimony, a testimony to the world. It's a public testimony of our faith. Baptism, first, as I said, is an act of obedience. It's also a picture that really points two directions. It points backwards, if you would, to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and our death to sin. You know, we're dead to sin if we've accepted Jesus Christ. It no longer lives in us, which means we can resist temptation. We can do it. Before, we were powerless, the Bible says, against sin. But it's with death to, to sin, and then forwards, it looks to Christ's resurrection, to that new life that's pledged to us as believers when we come out of that watery grave. Third, baptism is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. I am stepping out publicly by faith and identifying myself with Jesus Christ. And because of the power really in it, it's more than an act of faith. It's really a statement of faith. You're declaring. That's why we have people share, even though sometimes it's very brief, that they are saved. But the more powerful testimony is the picture, the picture of what's taking place when they get baptized. You know, in a sense, what we're doing out there today is we're having a public burial. The old people are dead. They're dead. We're demonstrating it as they go into the water. But that new creature in Christ has been raised from the dead. New life in Christ. We no longer have the old master, the devil. We, do not, we no longer serve him. We have a new master. Jesus. God is our new master. I don't think I need to spend too much time on it because I pretty well already covered it, but you know, I always ask that question, why, why don't you just baptize infants? I think if I, I went through what we believe it represents, that it's designed for believers, and you know, the, the people that do baptize infants stand on some scriptures. Uh, some of them they stand on, or most of them that they stand on, and I've had this discussion with other pastors of other churches that practice infant baptism. They would use scriptures where it talks about the whole household believed and got baptized. There was a household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 11, the household of Lydia in Acts chapter 16, the household of the jailer in Acts chapter 16, and the household of Stephanus in 1 Corinthians 1. In each case, the, the head of the family got saved, and it says he and his family believed, and they were all saved. And they will say, well, can't we assume that there were infants in that family? Well, you can, but the Bible doesn't say that. My whole family got baptized. There's no infants in my family. 
So it doesn't seem to me that it proves that infants got baptized at all. And another thing that you will sometimes hear is what circumcision was in the Old Testament, identifying God's people, New Testament, in the New Testament, baptism is that symbol, identifying God's people. Therefore, we baptize these infants because they are God's children. Well, I believe all babies that are born are God's children. There's no doubt about it, but it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. It's very clear in the Bible, if you were a Jew and you were part of God's family, you had to get circumcised. It doesn't say a thing in the New Testament or anywhere in the Bible to be identified as God's children. You are given the command to get baptized. So they baptize babies. We choose not to. What's it look like? We walk out into the water and we baptize them. And <clears throat> are the words important? I think there's an importance to them. Do they have to be said exactly a certain way? I don't think so. I don't, we, we're not legalistic there, but we see in the Bible they were baptized in the Great Commission. Go and baptize them how? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's what I do. But there is another place where it says we baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I believe it's really synonymous. So I'm not really hung up on the words that we speak. But when, just before we're going to put them under the water, then we take and we just dip them under the water quickly and bring them out as a public demonstration of a new person in Christ. That's all we do. Okay, summarizing very quickly so we can head to the North Shore. All of you are invited that would like to come. It's a symbolic picture of being buried with Christ and raised to a new life in Him. We do not believe there's commands to baptize infants. We believe it's for believers. Um, we believe it should be if possible, because it's the best symbolism and the best demonstration, we believe it should be, if possible, done by immersion. Not legalistic about that, but we think that's the best picture. And we believe that we should do it because Jesus commands us. Oh, who can baptize? I run into this occasionally. I love the way we do it. I love being involved. I love doing it public and in front of as much of the congregation as can possibly come. But you know what? None of that's required. You know what? <clears throat> if you wanted to baptize a believer, somebody came to you and said, you're a Christian, I, you know me, I just accepted Jesus Christ, will you baptize me? You can say yes. The command is go and make disciples, baptizing them. Now, I, really, I'm very, very selfish. I would love to be there. But it's not a requirement. That's religion. There's nothing mystical or magical about me or one of the other elders doing the baptizing. The mystery has already taken place in your heart when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Obedience to the Lord. If you have any other questions about baptism and the way we do it, why we do it that way, I'd love to visit with you about it or one of the elders could talk to you about it. But we wanted to make clear what we do and why we're doing it. And again, I hope you don't hear me saying this is the only way you can do it. This is the way we best think the Bible demonstrates for us how we should do it. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for what's about to take place out at the lake. God, I thank you for each one who is 
going to make a public demonstration of what you've already done in their hearts. God, I thank you for the grace that you extended to them to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And God, I pray that as we go out and and baptize these individuals, Lord, I'm pretty sure there's probably a number here who have never been baptized as believers. God, I pray that you would just reaffirm in their spirit that this is something they should look forward to doing sooner rather than later. God, we just want to be obedient to you. We want to bring all glory and honor to you. And Lord, I pray that we would never... You would never allow us, convict us by your Holy Spirit if we ever get judgmental or legalistic about something that's so precious in your heart. God, we thank you and praise you for uh, other churches that are preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly and clearly. We pray blessing on them. And now, Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts, that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, throughout the week, taking advantage of every opportunity to be your hands and feet, to be the lips of, of Jesus, to share the truth with others. Watch over us and keep us safe. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.